Today's episode is brought to you by Spoonflower. Spoonflower has a great new free ebook to check out. It's called Intro to Custom Fabric Design. It took me about 10 minutes to read through, and it shows you simple ways to upload your design to the Spoonflower site, edit it right there, turning it into a repeat pattern, and getting it ready to print. The ebook answered all my last minute questions about size and color and made me confident that I could actually design my own fabric. Download your free copy and save 15% off your first order at try.spoonflower.com slash Abby. That's try.spoonflower.com slash Abby. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 67 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about wholesale with my guests, Dana Moriello and Rachel Greenwald. Dana is currently the director of seller category growth at Etsy, where she's responsible for managing Etsy's wholesale business. She's held multiple roles at Etsy, all related to developing new business opportunities. Prior to her work at Etsy, Dana was the co-founder and president of ProFounder, a crowdfunding platform that provided tools for entrepreneurs to raise investment capital for their communities. Dana created a unique major at Stanford University, earning her BA in product development and returned to earn her MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business in 2009. Dana Moriello, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And Rachel is the seller growth lead for Etsy Wholesale. She manages programs that drive platform growth and education to help creative entrepreneurs start and grow their wholesale business. Previously, Rachel worked at U.S. microfinance institution Axion, where she secured funding and led financial education for small business owners. Rachel holds a master's in economic development management from the London School of Economics and a BA in history from NYU. Rachel Greenwald, welcome. Thank you. Um, So we are going to start by talking about wholesale from the very beginning. What is wholesale? Like, what does wholesale mean? I'll let either of you answer the question, whoever feels like it's, you know, sort of the most appropriate question for them. So what is wholesale? Wholesale is a channel of distribution for selling your goods. So to take Etsy sellers, for example, we find that sellers use multiple channels of distribution, which might be selling through Etsy. It might be selling through their own website. It might be selling through retailers and that would be wholesale. It might be selling at craft fairs. So wholesale is one of those many channels which you might use to reach consumers. And it involves selling your goods to a retailer that then resells them to the consumer. Okay. So what is the difference then between selling on consignment and selling wholesale? Because I know that you know, a lot of Etsy sellers sometimes get contacted by a shop, maybe local to them or maybe somewhat distance from them. And the shop owner will say, oh my gosh, I love your whatever. And I want to, you know, sell it in my shop. And so how do you know if what they're offering is a consignment situation or a wholesale situation? What's the difference? That's a great question. Definitely recommend that any designer who is asked by a retailer uh, to carry their goods, that they ask for clarification about what the retailer is looking for, because sometimes it's not clear in the initial ask. In a wholesale arrangement, the retailer pays for your goods up front and takes stock of those and then resells them to the consumer. In a consignment arrangement, they'll take those goods and you'll only get paid as the designer if those goods sell. Okay, so... Do you kind of recommend one over the other? I mean, who 
who are each of those uh, scenarios best for? Yeah, I, you know, consignment can be a great way to kind of tiptoe into wholesale for your business. Um, I think a lot of uh, designers, when they're first starting to sell, they're going to shops in their own town, they're going to places nearby, and selling through consignment uh, relationships with the retailers. It's a way to start getting feedback and information about how your products sell in a retail environment um, without necessarily taking um, you know, all the steps you would need to in order to really start a wholesale business. I found um, just personally from having gone through that process many, many years back that um, sometimes when you sell on consignment, the shop owner doesn't have the same level of motivation to um, sell your items because they haven't actually paid for them. Um, and so they don't sort of feel like they really have to turn them over. I don't know if uh, you have anything, any thoughts on that, but that's just from a personal note. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, so if, let's say somebody listening is an Etsy seller or, you know, they're a small business owner, maybe not selling on Etsy, um, and they're considering doing wholesale, but they're not sure whether that's the right move for them. Um, so how can you know when you're at a, at a stage in your business when wholesale would be the right move? Like what are the signs? Yeah, there's definitely a few different factors that I think are really important to, you know, look into and figure out for your business before you make that leap into wholesale. Probably first and foremost, it's going to be pricing for most sellers on Etsy. Um, you know, the expectation among retail buyers is that you're able to sell your products to them at 50% of the suggested retail price. That's what's called um, keystone pricing and wholesale lingo. Um, and it's a very, you know, it's industry standard. Uh, I think for a lot of sellers who are starting on platforms like Etsy, where right off the bat, they're selling direct to their customers and they're figuring out, you know, a model for profit based on that kind of uh, channel. They, they aren't necessarily um, setting their prices high enough to allow them to do wholesale. So this is one of the first things we see with Etsy sellers is they kind of have to go back, revisit their retail pricing in their Etsy shop or other channels, um, oftentimes raise their pricing um, or look for ways to maybe make their supply chain or their cost of goods more efficient. Um, so that's definitely one of the first factors. I'd say another big one is packaging and branding. Um, this is also something that I think is very important for um, sellers that are selling on platforms like Etsy because you have so much room to express your brand. You have, you know, five photos that you can upload for each product listing that you have. And when your product's sitting on a shelf, it's very different. Um, you, you don't have as, at that point of sale when the customer's looking at your product, deciding whether or not to buy it, um, packaging, labels, hang tags, things like that that express your brand are really important. Um, I think another, another thing that, um, is important to consider when you're thinking about taking a leap into wholesale is issues of cash flow in your business. Um, what's really nice about selling direct to customers, obviously, is you get paid pretty much right away. Um, but oftentimes when you're developing wholesale relationships with retail buyers, there might be some kind of delay in payment, right? So perhaps someone's placing an order and the expectation is that they'll pay you when it ships or maybe even 30 days later, it's commonly called net 30. So figuring out whether or not you're able to kind of float um, during those periods in terms of your cash flow is, is important. Again, not something that all sellers are doing right off the bat, extending the net payment terms to their buyers, um, but it's something to consider for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, you know, those are the kind of sacrifices, you know, in other words, you might have to double your prices or at least 
raise them significantly and try to cut down costs in some way um, among, you know, the cost of goods sold. And then you might have to invest in packaging and labeling. Um, you might have to wait to get paid. And um, so those are some of the kind of the sacrifices that you might have to go through in order to make wholesale work for you. But there's probably something that you, or there must be something that you stand to gain <laughs> from that, right? Like some significant gain because you see all these people who are like, I really want to sell wholesale or I'm finally selling wholesale and they're so excited. So what is it that they're getting that's so awesome? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that there's, you know, lots of great things that you can get um, by taking the leap into wholesale with your business. Um, one of those is diversifying your your channels and your sources of income. Um, something that a lot of sellers tell us on Etsy Wholesale is that they like that the cycles for when retail buyers are buying is different from when people are buying in their, their Etsy shop right? If you're a retailer and you're getting ready for the holiday season, you need to start buying product from from sellers by August, September, October at the latest. Um, whereas obviously for a lot of Etsy sellers, the busy period in their, in their um, Etsy shop is going to be November and December, right? So you create some kind of different uh, seasonality for yourself. Um, you know, again, you're, you're diversifying your income streams, you're also getting more exposure. I mean, the opportunity to sell your products in a store like Macy's or Whole Foods is amazing for um, a lot of sellers' businesses and and marketing of those businesses. Right. Okay. So it's worth it, um, depending on what your goals are, right? Like if that is what you want um, to see happen, if that's your dream, then it's worth it to take the time and the money to invest in making yourself wholesale ready. Um. Cool. So I want to differentiate for a second. Um, when we talked earlier, kind of planning out what we were going to talk today, you raised a really good point, Dana, about kind of the difference between wholesale with what you were determined, what you were calling a lowercase w, and wholesale with a capital W. And I think that there is a real difference here. Um, and I wanted you to sort of tell everybody sort of what you told me about the difference between the lowercase w wholesale and the uppercase w wholesale. Absolutely. One way to begin wholesaling that's pretty straightforward is to go down the the local street in your neighborhood and walk into the retailers and ask them if they're interested in carrying your products. And that might be picking up one, two, three accounts within your town. And it likely, more likely than not, would be consignment deals with those. And that we see is a relatively common story for how many Etsy sellers get started in wholesale. And that I would call wholesale with a lowercase w. It's a very informal system. It, in most cases, is not a formal business decision you're making. You're not deciding to open a wholesale channel for your business, but you're deciding to sell in a few retail accounts in a very hands-on and personal way. And that is a great decision for many people. I would distinguish that from the wholesale with the capital W, which I think of as a very deliberate business decision that you are making. You're doing the things that Rachel mentioned. You are as a rule, lowering or, or increasing your prices if necessary to allow yourself to give 50% keystone pricing. You are building efficient systems that allow you to produce at slightly higher volumes. And you're reaching retailers at a wider scale. You're interested in taking on more accounts. You're perhaps interested in taking on more accounts in more geographies. And when that is your interest, that's when platforms like Etsy Wholesale, that's when methods like trade shows become interesting to you. Okay, so this is um right, this is a whole different level where it's like you have a wholesale business where that's really primarily or like at least a big portion of what you're focused on, what you're investing in in is making this a wholesale business. Um and so um 
do often those shops who kind of go that route after, you know, maybe doing a little bit of lowercase w wholesale for a while, then they go full force into wholesale for real, do they stay on Etsy as a platform and still sell direct to consumer? Or do you find that they kind of decide at that point to, to only take on wholesale accounts and maybe shift over to just Etsy wholesale? Can you do that? Can you close your Etsy shop and shift over to Etsy wholesale? How does that work? We find a huge range of business decisions that people make. So I don't think that most people are saying wholesale is the majority of my business. Many people are. Many people are not. There's a mix of business, which might be appropriate to each seller individually. So if you think of it as a pie of different distribution channels that make up your business, some people might choose to say, even though I'm growing wholesale, I really enjoy craft fairs, and that is always going to be a large part of my business. Or I really enjoy direct-to-consumer interactions because getting a convo from someone and asking for that custom order is what I really find fulfilling in the way that I want to grow my business. Or I really find a lot of fulfillment in seeing my products in retail accounts. And so they're all very individual decisions of when you're making up what your mix of business is. And we find that it changes over time. We certainly have seen stories of sellers who think wholesale is going to be the way to go for them and that's going to be the majority of their business. And then they say, you know what, I miss the direct-to-consumer interaction. And then on the flip side, we see people who are just starting in wholesale, dipping their toe in and say, I love the efficiency that this offers me and how I can grow. And I feel a lot of fulfillment from being in these accounts. I'm going to invest more in that. Okay. So, right. So everybody's kind of making their own decision as to what, what they enjoy, what seems profitable. Um, yeah. yeah, and what their future goals are. Okay, so I want to kind of um, explain a little bit about what Etsy offers when it comes to that moment when you're ready to to maybe go wholesale with the capital W. So just explain what Etsy wholesale is. Like, when did it start? What is it as a platform? How does it work? How do people get into Etsy wholesale? Um, and sort of what does it offer people? Sure. So we started Etsy Wholesale in August of 2014, and it was really in response to seller demand. It was talking to our sellers and having the conversation that we're having now about what are your channels of distribution today, and where are the pain points there? What are the channels that you want to have as you grow your business? And in those conversations, we were hearing that wholesale is something that people were already doing and having challenges with, and wholesale was something that even more sellers wanted to grow to do. So we heard that demand, and that was something that we wanted to answer. At the same time, we're really focused, we are today, and and we're then really focused on this idea of building the Etsy economy. The Etsy economy is this human-scaled approach to commerce. It's a big number of small things that are directly connected in this interdependent ecosystem. So if we talk about one model of wholesaling, we could say that Etsy would open stores and we would sell Etsy products, but that wouldn't be the Etsy economy that we're trying to build. We really want this ecosystem. So to us, that logical solution of what the Etsy economy looks like in the context of wholesale is that we needed to build an ecosystem of retailers that was as large and wide as possible so that our sellers could connect directly with many retailers and those retailers could in turn connect directly with sellers. So that's part of the philosophy of why we thought this was so important. And then in terms of the nuts and bolts of how the platform worked, I think it's important to create the context of what the alternatives are in the marketplace. So one alternative that we talked about is going door to door to local retailers. And for some goals, that is an appropriate way to go. If you'd like to reach a wider range of retailers, perhaps outside of your geography, the predominant option there is trade shows. Trade shows are very expensive propositions. They are you pay thousands of dollars for a booth where you are displaying your products and retailers are walking the floor 
looks a lot like a craft fair, but in fact for retailers as opposed to consumers who are walking by your business. And often deals are not done directly at that show, but relationships are built. And a lot after a lot of follow-up, deals will uh, uh, perhaps come through from that. And what we heard from sellers about trade shows is, gosh, that's a very expensive and very intimidating way to begin your business, your wholesale business, and it's hard to see a return immediately. So with that feedback in mind, we said, okay, well, let's start an online marketplace for, whole, for wholesaling. It can be like a trade show that's available 24-7, but with much lower barrier to entry. To join Etsy Wholesale, it's $100 and a one-time joining fee. And then when you have a transaction on the site, it's a 3.5% transaction fee as you're used to from Etsy Retail. So as you can see, we really wanted to focus on something that's much, much more accessible, much lower cost than the options that are out there, but still offer the advantage of connecting you with a wide network of retailers. We have over 11,000 retailers on the platform now, ranging from small boutiques in every geography, predominantly in the United States, as well as a collection of large retailers. Okay, so it strikes me as um, similar to Etsy as a concept. I mean, Etsy Wholesale is, as you said, essentially um, a wholesale trade show that's open all the time. And people can come at any time and shop and make connections and make deals. And Etsy as a platform is basically like a craft fair that's always open. Um, and is global, and anyone can go on and shop at any time and buy something handmade from somebody else um, in the way that you would on a, at a craft fair. So it's, it is sort of like reflective, right? Absolutely. You got it. Okay. Yeah, and I would add to that, Abby. I mean, I think another thing that's really so great about the Etsy Wholesale platform is that um, it's, it's a really supportive community, just like the general Etsy marketplace. Um, we have lots of educational resources. Um, we have Etsy teams forums, we have all kinds of channels where, you know, people can really, um, get feedback and get support as they're starting to grow this part of their business. So let's talk about vetting both for the retail partners, as well as for the sellers on Etsy wholesale. So you said you have 11,000 retailers of all sizes, mostly focused in the United States. And so when a retailer comes and says, Hey, this looks interesting. I might want to be part of this. How do you evaluate them? Do they have to pay to be part of it? Or sort of what does their application process look like? And then on the actual maker end, obviously there's this $100 fee to get in, but is it competitive? Um, has, you know, how, how do you determine if somebody's like right for uh, Etsy wholesale? I think it's helpful in answer to that question to take a step back and look at what our goals are in vetting and why do we vet in the first place? So one of our goals that we talked about a little bit is to be as accessible as we can be. So we said our trade shows are not very accessible. They're very expensive. In some cases, there is heavy jurying in the trade show. And we really wanted to create an opportunity where people could, both the buyers and sellers could join Etsy Wholesale, who perhaps have not been to trade shows before and have not committed to wholesale with a capital W yet, but are interested in getting started. We want to welcome them in and then provide them with the education to grow and thrive in that community. So that's the part of the philosophy that we're starting this during process from. Another part of the philosophy that we're starting with is we want this to be a large community to create as much opportunity for as many people as possible. So coming from those two places, then to get more specific about how we vet, when we look at our buyers, 
We are asking them for an EIN, which is an identification number that shows that they are a retail business. And the reason that we ask for that is we want to make sure that part of the value we're providing to the sellers on the platform is that there are real retailers who are there as opposed to consumers who are looking for wholesale discounts. So that's part of the value that we provide. In terms of vetting for aesthetics or otherwise for buyers, those are not determinations that we make. We want individuals to make the choices on their own of who they would like to connect with and why. I'll let Rachel speak to the seller side. Okay. Yeah, and, and on the seller side, um, as, as you mentioned, you know, we do have a, a vetting process. There's an application that sellers are required to fill out in order to be a part of the um, Etsy wholesale platform. And what we're looking for there is really just that sellers are, are ready to start, you know, uh, selling to retailers. So we do require that sellers can um, offer keystone pricing. They can offer uh, their products at 50% of the retail prices in their Etsy shop. Um, we also look to see that they have a robust product assortment um, and are ready to you know, meet the expectations of retailers. So um, those, those are the things that we're looking for. And now I want to take a moment to check in with our sponsor, Spoonflower. Um, I'm Janet Tallis, and I'm the print manager here at Spoonflower. So what is your typical day at the job like? Uh, I think the best way I can describe it is busy. <laughs> um, you know, the moment you walk in the door, you've got a big, big list of things to do. Um, and I think that's pretty much the same for any department. Um, you know, in my department, in the print department, you know, when you come in, you actually see on a big screen all of the yards ordered um, at that time, all of the things that need to get printed. And you can see it by fabric. Um, it's a big list, and it's constantly going up. So when you walk in the door, your job is to make that that number go down. And so you're you're constantly watching the numbers go up and down all day long, um, which I think you know can be a little hectic for some people. But um, here it's just fun. People love to be busy. They love to get that number to go down, and they're really competitive about it. Um, I know that there's not a ton of waste with digital printing, but there are some scraps that happen. Sure. So what happens to the Spoonflower scrap bin? We kind of separate the waste based on whether it's printed fabric or it's unprinted. And we actually have a sustainability committee who um, meets and decides what we're going to do with this stuff. So the unprinted fabric um, will go to a place called the Scrap Exchange in Durham, which is a local nonprofit um, people can go in and actually find fabric and use it for projects, which is really cool. Uh, we also donate some of the unprinted stuff to NC State since they have a, a really great textile department. Now, the printed fabric um, has kind of a different path. If, if it's marketplace, that means we can actually purchase it ourselves in-house. And what we do is we take that, that fabric and we use it for charities, for donations, um, we've made blankets for Nepal and we've made, uh, plushies. Um, one of the things we're doing right now, which is really cool is we're making pouches for orphaned joeys, um, which I think is just really, really cool and really cute. <laughs> um, now the fabric that isn't marketplace, you know, we do have to dispose of it because we don't own the rights to any, any of those designs. Um, so we don't throw it away. It actually gets shredded and it finds its way into things like um, car seats, uh, which is pretty cool. So everything that we get rid of, you know, we try to send it to a better home or a second life, I guess you'd say. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show, Spoonflower. And now back to my conversation with Dana and Rachel. Okay. All right. So, um, 
is what about sort of this question of handmade? I know that this is sort of a lingering question with Etsy and something that people often bat about. So, um, you know, do you, are you looking to be sure that somebody, for example, isn't actually buying things wholesale and then selling them a whole, you know, like how do you, do you, is there a question around, you know, whether something's truly handmade? That, that's a fair question. So everything that's sold on Etsy wholesale is in the handmade category on Etsy. And I, we listened to the great podcast that you did with Heather Jassy and with Stephanie about the responsible seller growth team and the vetting that's done on that team. And the same kind of rules apply to wholesale, that we are looking for people who are in that handmade category. And some of them may have applied for outside manufacturing through the responsible seller growth team, and many of them have not. Okay. And has um, the vetting process changed over time? Like when you first started um, back in uh, 2000, in August of 2014, did you have sort of one way of approaching vetting? And then it's sort of, you know, as you went, learned, oh, wait a minute, we need to shift this in some way? Yeah, our, our vetting criteria has changed a bit over time. Um, initially, when we launched back in 2014, we had more stringent criteria. Um, but we realized pretty quickly that the, you know, what our retail community is looking for is very diverse. Um, like the general Etsy marketplace, they like having an abundant assortment. They like seeing products in all kinds of categories. Um, and they really want to work with like such a diverse array of sellers. So we did, um, revamp our vetting process a bit earlier last year, um, to make it more accessible and inclusive. Okay. So in other words, if you're not super sleek and like mm-hmm. have a ton of experience already, this could still be something for you because what you're saying is that some retailers really want that fresh face and somebody who isn't like overly saturated in the marketplace already and somebody who they're feeling like they're handpicking because, you know, that person has a unique aesthetic that they've never seen before and is new and is different and maybe they'll learn as they go and that's still okay. Yeah, absolutely. And and I really like your last point there, Abby, about learning as you go. You know, we know that the the evolution of a shop on the general Etsy marketplace is can be an amazing one, right? Where you you start listing your product, you get feedback from customers, you see what other sellers are doing, and we know the same thing has to happen for sellers that are building their wholesale business as well. Right. Okay. And so when you first do sign on, um, if you're, you know, completely new to wholesale or even if you have some wholesale experience, you get some training, right? Like you got like a boot camp kind of training. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that's something that, Rachel, you've worked on a lot. So tell us a little bit about like what, you know, what's in that boot camp and what you can expect. Because um, I think that that in some way might even be worth your $100 fee in and of itself, you know, like just to get the training about how to do wholesale well. Since we've launched Etsy Wholesale, you know, back in 2014 and even prior to that, we've had a lot of great educational resources. We've, we have interviews with sellers who've made that leap into wholesale um, and getting their thoughts on, on what were the most important things for them um, to kind of evolve in their business. We've had more uh, tutorial or how-to style articles as well. What we recently did was we, um, we synthesized a lot of that, that information. We interviewed our, some of our best retail buyers on the platform to see what they're looking for in sellers. And we, we synthesized that all into an email course. And that's the boot camp you're referring to. Um, so this email course, it's something actually that we just launched at the beginning of this year. And we have our first cohort of sellers going through it right now. Um, but as of February 12th, it will be available for anyone to sign up for and take you know, at whatever time makes sense for them. Um, 
And that's just a really great way to get these lessons delivered to your, your email inbox about all the steps, you know, you need to take to get your line sheet up to establish your wholesale policies to, you know, think about your pricing. Um, yeah. Okay. And when you say it's, it will be available to everyone, it's just to everyone who's accepted in the Etsy wholesale. It's actually available. It'll be available to anyone on the um, Etsy platform. Oh, wow. Not okay. just accepted to wholesale. Yeah. Okay. But it's geared toward wholesale. So if that is something that you want, you know, down the road, um, you could take this email course now and kind of go through the process of thinking about it in a more structured way to get there. Yeah. And then apply after that yeah. even. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because what we've heard from a lot of sellers on Etsy is that, they really want to start, you know, tiptoeing into wholesale, but they're just, you know, things like the the lingo, the idea of setting up minimums and all of that is, is a bit intimidating if you've never done it before. Even creating a line sheet or even for some people, I feel like um, they get contacted about wholesale for one product and then they know that they need to have like a product line. Um, and so they're like, how do I build out the product line, you know, so that I'm, I don't just have this one product. I have like, you know, multiple products to choose from. And then how do I make the line sheet from that? And like, what is a line sheet, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and that's why we created this email course was, you know, to help kind of guide, guide folks through that process of, of starting to sell wholesale for the first time. And I think people too really fear, fear that they're going to sound dumb. You know, that the, um, right, like the, the retailer is going to come and ask them for these things and they don't know what those things even are, you know, like they don't even yeah. know what the language means. And so they're like, ah, like I'm so flattered that she wants this, but I don't even know what she's talking about. Like Keystone what? Like I don't know what this yeah. is, you know. So um, it's a whole new business lingo to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And Abby, that's one of one of the biggest things I think that intimidates people about selling wholesale is that lingo. Um I think a, a lot of sellers will say that they feel like selling wholesale, it's, it's like a black box, you know, and people can be very secretive about it. Um, there's very, very high barriers to entry for things like trade shows. And um, it's, it's hard to, to learn about what it takes to grow your business in that way. And so we're trying to kind of pull back the curtain and, and demystify a lot of that for our sellers. Yeah, and it's neat that this is a marketplace where people are looking on both sides. So you have retailers actually looking. Because the other thing that's secretive too is you can't really come up to another business. Like, you know, if you um, make jewelry, it's a little weird to come up to another business that maybe you've met online or something like that and say, oh, well, you know, what are your accounts? Like, so I can call them too. You know what I mean? And be like, hey, you you know, you've got these great stores in Arizona. I'm going to call them up. And, um, you know, people kind of feel threatened. Like, are you going to steal my account? You know? And so... Um, so the fact that you've got this open marketplace makes it so everyone's kind of on the same playing field and people can kind of shop without feeling like they're stealing or, you know, ex- I don't know, sharing secrets or something. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Okay. And can you give us an example? Um, it sounds like you've really talked to a lot of Etsy sellers who have made this transition Um can you give us an example of somebody who stands out to you who, you know, kind of started off on Etsy just with a regular Etsy shop selling direct, selling direct to retail customers and kind of made a transition into wholesale and is, has done it well? Somebody who stands out to you? Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful Etsy shop called A Heirloom, um, and it's run by Amy, who's just a fantastic designer and business person. Um, she makes these really great state-shaped cutting boards and now other types of products, but I think that's what she's really well known for. 
Um, and she's, she is in many ways, I think a prototypical Etsy seller where she started out selling through that channel. Um, her pricing was definitely based on selling direct to customers. And as her business grew and demand grew, um, she started getting contacted by a lot of retailers. And I actually was just chatting with her recently because, um, we have an article on our seller handbook right now about setting the right um, pricing and order minimums for wholesale that I, I encourage anyone listening to check out. Um, but she was saying how there was really a lot of trial and error to get her wholesale pricing right. Um, she had to go back and kind of you know revisit the formula she'd been using of like labor and materials and overhead and profit, and then making sure she was doubling that right. Um, and she now will tell anyone that she talks to that wholesale is um, a really valuable part of her business. It's a really robust and growing part of her business. And she really enjoys doing that and the relationships that she's built with retailers. Okay. And of course, it's really cool when you walk into a store and see your own products, as I do with her products um, around, around Brooklyn. Yeah, of course it's cool. It's kind of like when you write a book and then it's published and you go to Barnes & Noble and your mom goes to Barnes & Noble and, <laughs> you know, and, and different states and there's your book. I mean, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even if you – even if it's not your product but you feel like you've followed that maker's story for many years and seen them grow and find success and then you go into a store and you see their thing, you're like, oh, I know her. You know, it's like yeah. this great feeling, even, you know, just pride for them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, so let's talk about uh, the different types of retailers. So you said you've got a lot of retailers on the site, um, but some of them are really small. Like they're just a, a small gift boutique, for example, um, and maybe that's the majority. But then you have also some really big retailers like Whole Foods, and you just opened um, a store within Macy's in New York in Herald Square, right? Um, so those big retailers maybe are somewhat different as a, uh, an account than I'm imagining, than the the smaller, you know, sort of single gift boutique. Um, so what are the big ones looking for? What do they need uh, versus the small ones? It's fair to say that the majority, the vast majority of those 11,000 retailers are small boutiques. And that's on purpose because we know that those small boutiques and our Etsy sellers are going to form great connections more easily. That's a better fit for more sellers. But there is a group of sellers that are really looking to take their business to the next level for whom these large retailers are going to be that right step. So that's why we have a mix of both. But it is very much weighted to the smaller retailers. So those large retailers, those are partnerships that we form very purposefully, purposefully and deliberately. On one hand, we're asking our sellers all the time, what are your dream retailers? Where do you want to be featured? And making sure that we're really bringing in the retailers that are appealing to them and aspirational to them. And when we choose to work with a retailer, we have very high standards for who that we'll work with. And we instituted something called the Retailer Commitments to really codify this. And this was in response to a challenge that we saw where sellers who were working with large retailers off of Etsy Wholesale were saying, this is really hard. They're asking me for margins and often in many cases that are really hard for me to meet. It's hard for me to wait the length of time for the net terms that some large retailers are asking for. And the book of rules that I'm given when I'm shipping something out to a large retailer, it's also really hard for me to follow. So we listened to all these pain points. We took them in. We talked to potential large retail partners, and we said, how can we solve these things together? And that's what the retailer commitments are, and that's what all of our retailers follow. So just to talk through those for a second. 
The first one is that all of our large retail partners pay the price listed on the Etsy uh, wholesale seller's line sheet for at least the first six months of the relationship. So this often means paying 50% keystone pricing for at least the first six months while a relationship is developing. And we're really proud of this. This is relatively atypical in the industry. And so I just want to clarify that many really large retailers, they actually get better terms. Correct. Because they are paying, they are buying so much that they get special treatment. And so they get better terms. So and they don't pay 50%. They pay 40% or 30% right. um, because their order is so large. And so people are sort of making it up in volume. But what you're saying is you're locking them in to that lease for the first six months, paying that 50% until the relationship has really kind of taken shape. Exactly. Paying the price listed on the wholesale line sheet. So a seller might choose to sell their products at a different price. The vast majority are selling at 50% and that is uh, what's required. But if a seller chooses to have alternate pricing on their line sheet, that's, that's fine as well. Okay. All right. So that's margin. Yeah. So that's number one. The second one is offering quick and fair payment terms. So this gets to what Rachel was saying before about net 30, net 60, net 90, how long you're waiting to get paid from for the, from the retailer. And we ask that this be at the quickest possible that retailer can do. The third one is that you provide a personal point of contact to assist with supplier compliance and vendor setup. And I was particularly excited about this one I don't. When you set up a relationship with a large retailer, you often get this telephone book size uh, set of papers that are the compliance of the uh, how you need to put SKU numbers on your items, exactly how you need to ship, how returns are done, lots and lots of rules, which if you haven't done large-scale wholesale before can be very new and very confusing. And what we're asking for here is give the seller a specific point of contact, someone they can call on their phone number to ask a question instead of going through a labyrinth type exercise to understand what's going on in this manual. Okay. So it sounds like Etsy sellers through Etsy Wholesale are actually getting better treatment to a certain degree than a maker who's trying to get this wholesale account on his or her own Um, because you've gone on everyone's behalf and negotiated with these huge retailers these, you know, sort of specific ways of being treated um, so that it's more fair and it's um, easier and sort of happier for the small seller in the beginning. Absolutely. We put a lot of effort into making sure that these relationships can be mutually successful for the seller and the retailer. The commitments are about that shared set of values in making the relationship successful. We also invest in the marketing partnership with the retailer to make sure as much traffic is getting there to the retailer as possible to those Etsy sellers. And so the sell-through is great. And so there are reorders and a growing successful business. And I think that the recent launch of the Macy's partnership is a really great example of this, where all of these retailer commitments and shared values are in place. And we also set up a a Etsy store in the in the Macy store in Herald Square that has Etsy branding and has co-op marketing with Etsy and Macy's in an effort to really drive as much attention to those sellers as possible. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the marketing partnership? So what do you mean by that? Like what exactly are you asking these large retailers to do for marketing for their Etsy um, sellers that are working with them? It's a case-by-case basis, a conversation between Etsy and the retailers with the goal of saying, how can we best set these sellers up to succeed? And it's different in every single case. So in the case of Macy's, 
they were really excited about putting a lot of attention on these sellers and worked with us to create an Etsy environment in the one below basement level of the the Herald Square store here in New York City. So you'll see branding around that. You'll see very unique merchandising fixtures that really draw a lot of attention to that space. In fact, all the tabletop fixtures for that space were sourced from other Etsy sellers to create this very immersive environment. And Macy's uh, also worked with us to set up a window outside of that store that features the, the sellers in that window. There were newspaper ads and there was signage within the store. Okay. And you're negotiating that on everybody's behalf, which is really interesting. So um, have you had retail partners that you've, you know, sort of reached out to? Maybe sellers have said, yep, that's one of my dream partners. Um, And you've met with them and and said, you know, here are the things that we need. And they've said, well, we don't do it that way. And you've said, well, then no dice. I will say that these commitments are not a fit for every retailer. Yeah. Okay. I think that's important to know. In other words, if you're not seeing it there, maybe it's because we haven't reached out or maybe it's in the works or maybe it's just because that retailer is just not willing to make these accommodations, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, okay. And then, um, uh, okay, so so tell us about uh, some one of the sellers that ended up uh, being able to work in this new Macy's partnership because I think that that is really exciting. And um, so who, like, who got selected for that? How many Etsy sellers um, through Etsy Wholesale are actually featured now in the Macy's Herald Square store? There are eight sellers that are there right now with 57 different products. Some of those products were actually created unique for this Macy's Herald Square partnership and are available only there. And the partnership is going to last for at least one year in that space. That's the commitment that we have with Macy's. So there is going to be rotating inventory. Every two months, there's going to be a different collection of sellers and different collection of product. So some of those products, for example, that are custom, Naomi Singer of Modern Mud, she is a ceramicist, and she makes these uh, lots of beautiful ceramics, but in particular, really beautiful ring dishes and other homewares. She made a unique little dish that says, I love New York in gold leaf on a white ceramic plate that's unique for this partnership, which we really love in that space. Okay. So that's a good example of somebody who got selected and is, um, and is having their, their stuff featured in the, in the very first go-round. Um, that's really neat. And so um, in comparison to uh, these large retailers, do you want to just tell us sort of what small retailers are looking for when they're choosing a maker? Yeah, I, I can definitely speak to that. Um, I think that there's a few key things that, you know, anyone in our retailer community um, is is looking for, whether they're a large retailer or an independent retailer. And that's going to be, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, a robust assortment of products. So what does that mean? That means having um, items at different price points. You know, a retailer may say, I want, I know like things between $20 and $50 do really well in my store. And then for special occasions like Valentine's Day, graduations, items upwards of $100 do really well. You want to make it easy for a retailer to be able to meet your minimum order requirements. Um, and you also want your line to be represented well in a store. So that's why it's really important to have a nice assortment of products on offer on your line sheet. Um, Another thing that any retailer is going to be looking for, and I also mentioned this earlier, is professional branding, packaging, and good photography. Remember, if you're used to selling on Etsy, you're not going to have those five photos to show, you know, what your product looks like in context, how it's used. You need to make sure it really speaks to customers on the shelf. Um, 
I think another thing that's important is having policies that show professionalism and language. Again, you know, coming back to that, um, that shows you understand how retailers work. So when I'm talking about policies, I mean, you know, letting retailers know right off the bat up front on your your line sheet um, what your lead times are, how quickly they can expect to receive the product, um, what your policies are around any breakages that happen in the process of shipping, things like that that just build confidence in a retailer when they're deciding whether or not to take on your line. Um, and then lastly, of course, you know, having pricing that that works for you and shows confidence in your, your work and your products, but also makes it possible for a new retailer to take a chance on your line. Um, and we've, we actually pilot, we've um, launched, I'm sorry, some really great new programs this year. Uh, one of them is called uh, the mini open call. And each month we're, we're uh, shining the spotlight on a different, really cool independent retailer in our platform and doing an interview with them about a specific topic related to wholesale selling. Um, and you can find those on the, uh, the seller handbook. Those are called um, Inside the Mind of a Retail Buyer, those uh, articles. Um, and then each of those retailers is also committing to, to hosting a, a mini open call on, um, on our Instagram channel. So they're putting out a pitch for products that they're looking for. In January, we worked with a retailer um, uh, named uh, John Frechette in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He has a store called Made and another men's store called Mountain Dandy. And he put out a pitch for products um, geared to men, men's gift items. This month, we're working with a really awesome uh, floral and gift boutique in Chicago called Fleur. Uh, and the buyer there, her name and, and owner, is uh, her name is Kelly Marie Thompson. And I think what's really cool about this program is it allows you to get inside kind of how a retailer's thinking about um, uh, purchasing from new sellers, um, how they're thinking about running their business, how they think about things like pricing and the retail calendar and all of that. So I, I definitely encourage anyone listening to check that out to get more more insight into what retailers are looking for. Right. So you would go first to the Etsy Seller Handbook and read the article that is about the um, mini open call that month called Inside the Mind of a Retail Buyer. Yeah. And sort of see what that particular retail is looking looking for, you know, a little learn more about them and then go over to the Instagram account, Etsy's Instagram account, and you can then submit a product that you might have or be developing that would fit with that store. And then it's almost like a contest where the store owner is then at the end of the month choosing one of those products that they will then carry. Is that right? That's that's exactly right. And if you follow us on Instagram, we're Etsy Wholesale. You'll see at the beginning of each month, we'll announce who the retailer of the month is and what type of product they're looking for and how you can pitch your line to them. And then at the end of the month, we announce who the winning uh, the winning seller is. Okay, and you have to have been accepted to Etsy Wholesale to be a winner. That's correct. So you can go ahead and pitch, and even if you're not yet on Etsy Wholesale, but you then do need to go immediately apply to Etsy Wholesale right afterwards. Okay, mm -hmm. um, in order to be selected. Okay, great. Yes. And so can you tell us who the, um, the shop owner in Wyoming selected? Yeah. Um, so John selected um, a seller. His name is Eric. Um, he has a shop called Deesky Design, and he does these really cool um, custom guest books that have um, they're bound with uh, vintage maps. And I think one of the things that John really loved about his products was, first of all, they were they were manly, or you know, maybe sort of somewhere between manly and gender neutral, which is great for his um, his shop, Mountain Dandy. 
Um, but he also loved that it's, it's a solid product that can be customized as well. So this seller, Eric, is able to uh, include maps of Wyoming, of Jackson Hole. And that's something that, you know, any retailer is going to respond to that really well. The ability for you to customize product and make something that's going to be unique to their shop. Okay. So I think that people can kind of learn just by looking at um, all the different things that have um, been submitted and then seeing what was chosen and why. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's really why we created this program. We wanted to kind of shed more light on on how these relationships and these connections work between retailers and sellers. Yeah, and it really is a relationship. And I think that that's important. And what you were saying before around, you know, agreeing to these specific terms for the first six months and that sort of thing until this relationship is solidified. And I do really feel like it is a relationship. It's like, I trust you. I know you're going to, you know, send me good quality products. And on the other side, like, I know you're going to pay me on time uh, and treat me right. You know, it is kind of a, a trust situation where money is changing hand, product is changing hand. There's some risk involved on both ends. Yeah, that's that's really accurate, Abby. We have a really great um, interview that we did with Emily, who runs um, a great shop called Clementine in Vermont. And she's she's been buying on Etsy Wholesale for a long time. And she talks about kind of etiquette and best practices in that um, retail buyer and, and wholesale seller relationship. And she describes it as you know, almost like dating. <laughs> you need to, um, when you're pitching to a retailer, you need to let them know why you think your product would be a great fit for their shop, why you think it would really do well with their customers, show that you understand what they're looking for, um, build trust, um, communicate throughout the process. Um, and then of course, follow up afterwards, find out how your products did in their shop, let them know about new, um, new assortments, new things that you're launching. Um, and yeah, Mm-hmm. Right. relationship is, is really fundamental. Yeah, I think that's important for people to know. Okay, great. So um, let's go ahead and talk about your recommendations because I think it's fun for people just to get to know you a little bit and um, what both of you are enjoying right now. So um, uh, Rachel, we will start with you and you wanted to talk about Pocket. Yeah, I am a big fan of the Pocket app. I don't know. Are you are you a user of that, uh, Abby? So. I am such a big fan of Pocket that Pocket just emailed me last week saying that I was in the top 5% of their user base, um, which is really scary. Oh but I God. guess I use Pocket like more than all humans. So, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. I'll have to, I'll have to like share your username and send you articles after this. I do love um, Pocket. I, I love it because I'm, I'm a compulsive reader and I get – but I can tend to get stressed out when I'm seeing all these great articles going around on social media and the New York Times, New Yorker, et cetera, um, during the workday. And I just don't have time to read them, obviously. So I will send those articles to the Pocket app. And at the end of the week, I have this nice little like magazine that I've curated for myself. Right. Um, and just to and be clear, Pocket's like a free app. Um, you get it on your phone. And then um, basically, you can send from your phone, you can send articles right there. Um, and then from your desktop, there's like a browser extension where you can just like hit a little button and it saves it to Pocket as well. Yeah. And the nice thing about Pocket is that you can read offline. So it kind of downloads the whole article. So if you have no Wi-Fi, no internet connection, you can still read like if you're on an airplane, for example. 
Yeah. Or subway. <laughs> right. Or the subway. So, right. And so I do the same thing. I, I send everything to pocket and I, um, I write an email newsletter every week and that is how I save all of the articles that I'm considering including in the links to in, in the newsletter. So that's why I think I'm such a power pocket user, but pocket's yeah. a great thing. So if you don't have it yet, people go get it. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. And Dana, um, you wanted to recommend a particular kind of notebook, the Crescent Render. Is that how it's said? No show through paper notebook. Yes. These notebooks are magic. You can write on them with Sharpies. You can use paint, any medium, and it will not bleed through to the opposite side of the notebook. And I'm I'm a big fan of writing with Sharpies. I feel like that's when my best thinking happens is when I have a Sharpie in hand. And I felt like it was absolutely miraculous that I found paper that I could write with a Sharpie on both sides and it would not bleed through. So those are my very special thinking notebooks. Okay. And what do they look like on the outside? They just look like a black spiral bound notebook with about 60 pages. Okay, great. And they don't bleed. Nice. (laughs) That is good. Okay, cool. Um, And then Rachel, you wanted to talk about your KitchenAid stand mixer. Yeah, I have always loved cooking, but I was terrified of baking despite being like a total sweets addict. Um, And I recently uh, stole my mom's KitchenAid stand mixer from her and have now discovered this whole world of baking and it makes me feel incredibly creative. And yeah, I just love how tangible it is um, to create things in your kitchen. And I'm totally addicted to my stand mixer. And having the right tools is what it's all about. You know, that's the thing with the stand mixer is like you can put stuff in there and then you can walk away, you know, like I don't have one, but I really want one <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it just seems so cool to like put the dough hook on there and it like needs your dough and you can go and like do something else for a minute. Yep. Makes me feel like a professional. Yeah. Know? Plus it's nice looking on the counter, right? What, co- what color is yours? It's white. Classic white. Love it. Yeah. So I inherited one from my grandmother, but my sister took it. I left it at home for too long and my sister was like, she doesn't want this. So she took it. So that's okay. My sister can enjoy it. I'll go buy another (laughs) one. But um, yeah, I almost had one, but I don't have one. Um, Okay. So Dana, you wanted to talk about um, your Le Sports Sack backpack. Yes. I have what I call my adventure backpack that I leave by the door at all times. And it always has a sweater to put on. It has uh, a bottle of water in it. It has all the essentials that you would need for a day out on a Saturday adventuring. And it's very different than my work backpack. The two should never be confused. (laughs) The work backpack has the computer. It's black. This one is covered in flowers and it's lightweight and I can't leave home without it on the weekends. And you live, do you live in Brooklyn? I live on the Upper West Side. On the Upper West Side. Okay. So where do you go on your weekend adventuring? I love walking on the Hudson River path. That's my favorite walking path. And then especially in the winter, I am inside museums all day. I'm a big, big museum file. Nice. Okay. With your floral backpack. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, we have time for one more. So Rachel, you wanted to talk about David Bowie. Yeah. I, I have not been able to stop listening to him um, since, you know, I found out that he passed away back in, uh, in January and I'm particularly fond of that amazing string of albums he had in the 70s. And I think I've just been reflecting a lot on how amazing it is when an artist can really um, can speak in so many different mediums and be inspired by so many different mediums. And I, I just think it's awesome that he was so influential in music, art, theater, more. Makes me want to makes me want to dabble in all kinds of things. Yeah, true. Totally. He was a real inspiration. Um 
and we it's sad that in some ways we sort of reflect back and appreciate when somebody's passed away, but it is true. You kind of see their whole body of work from their whole life. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Dana, you wanted to talk about your Nalgene 32-ounce water bottle. <laughs> that, that she currently has on her lap right oh, now. Okay. Of course. I, I can't go anywhere without a huge water bottle. I tried to downsize to a smaller <laughs> one last week, and I had a panic attack <laughs> I need to have a, a full, gigantic bottle of water at all times. Uh-huh. Yes, 32 ounces. That's a big one. And Nalgene's like the classic old school. Yes, yes. It's the only one that's large enough. And although it claims to be indestructible, I have broken a few of them, but I still love them nonetheless. Okay, nice. Super. Well, those are really good recommendations. Inspiring. <laughs> those are great recommendations. And um, Dana and Rachel, if people want to uh, get in touch with you, they hear something on the show, they would like to send you a message. Is like Etsy Convo the best way to reach out? Sure. Yeah, Etsy Convo or any questions that are kind of more specifically maybe about the wholesale platform itself, um, please feel free to send an email to wholesale support at etsy.com. Oh, okay. So wholesale support. And does that go to one of you or? It, it goes to a team member of ours who is wonderful and will respond very quickly. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but the convos are always welcome as well. All right. Great. So, um, well, Dana and Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking to both of you and I learned a lot too. Thank you so much, Abby. Yeah. Um, so you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Spoonflower. Design your own fabric, gift wrap, and wallpaper and have Spoonflower print it and send it right to your doorstep. Not exactly sure how? Grab their free intro to custom fabric design ebook, and in just a few minutes, you'll be up and running. Visit try.spoonflower.com slash Abby, that's A-B-B-Y, and use the coupon code Abby15 to save 15% off your first order. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. 